Hello and welcome to Renovation, the media and film education podcast with me, Richard Eno, aka Reno. Well, it's been a wonderful week at uh, college, VV busy, um, but I've been loving it. Students are really settling in and um, even had a few more people join my film studies class. So I'm really happy about that and excited to be working with them. What's on today's show, I hear you think? Well, um, I'm going to talk for a bit about teaching documentary film um, because we have been discussing the nature of truth. What is truth? Is truth the same as reality? What is reality? So um, we're gonna we're gonna get a little bit deep and uh, talk about uh, documentary reality and truth. And I'm also just gonna briefly reflect on um, some of the things that I've been up to uh, this week, such as going to see Ad Astra, and uh, I'll also talk about um, uh, the experiences that the actual cinema itself uh, can offer. Um, no roast dinner this week. Um, I'm going for um, probably going to go for a, uh, a chili. I think. Um, looking lovely outside. Um, it's a lovely dark cloud, so I'm hoping we might get a bit of rain, which would be quite good because it's a Sunday, and Sunday afternoons are best spent uh, cozying up on the couch with a film. Well, um, I'll be back in a moment, and we'll be talking about reality and truth. So our recent unit on documentary film and documentary film theory has led us to study the concept of mediation in film and all mass media. So mediation is the term we often use to describe the selection process that a film producer or producer of any text goes through in order to create the text, and in our case, in film studies, the film text. And these can be things from, in documentaries, choosing the type of questions to ask, then editing the answers to reveal exactly what you want your um, documentary to be about. But it goes much further than that. Mediation is about the selection process of even choosing who to interview, when to interview, how to interview them, what kind of questions you're going to ask, what kind of state of mind you are going to place your interviewees in in order to elicit the words that you want them to say. Mediation is also um, heavily linked with editing, as I stated. So choosing which interviews and where to put them, what they're going to say, what to leave out, what to include, and where they go within the documentary film, how you then edit in uh, stock footage and other interviews, how you use um, visual titles in order to emphasize certain phrases. All of this is being selected. It's part of mediation. And so that draws us to the question of, well, what is real? So we discussed this in class, and uh, this led us on to 
um, reflect on the philosopher uh, Jean Baudrillard. Now, Baudrillard was a controversial philosopher whose main ideas and concepts have been used to understand the effect of living in a postmodern environment and, and how that ha has an effect on our perceptions of reality. One of his most famous books is Simulacra and Simulation, which looked at the reconstruction of reality in media. So the effect of postmodernism on and the audience can be extensive and can alter our perceptions of the media and reality as the media and, rea and reality merge together. Baudrillard coined the term hyperreality as, as a way of thinking about the effect that the audience goes through when they are merging the real world with the representation of the world throughout the media. And so if we look at the films that we study and any mass media through the lens of Baudrillard, we come to a really dark conclusion that there is no truth, that hyperreality means that it, the films that we're looking at become more real than real to the extreme. Baudrillard argued there is nothing underneath illusion, just other illusions, copies of copies of copies. In terms of Baudrillard, the media represent reality, such as um, the film uh, that we looked at the other week, which was One Day in September, about the uh, Berlin uh, Olympics and the film we're about to study, um, Oppenheimer's The Act of Killing, about the Indonesian massacres of 65-66. And Baudrillard would go on to say that the media represent reality and in doing so change it to make it more visual, uh, more fun, more engaging. But the questions that Baudrillard comes up with then is, well, what happens when we start to believe that the simulation of reality is the actual reality? And he called this effect of, of living in a, a simulated world, or was what he called it, a simulacra. He called the effect is a distorted sense of reality, or in his words, hyper-reality. One of the consequences of that is that the media can now create such idealistic representations of reality that they even outperform reality itself. The audience is left feeling depressed as their own life doesn't live up to artificial reality. I mean, just take a look at aspirational TV or so-called reality television. Look at programs like um, The X Factor and, and the way these programs are recreating what life should be for us. Baudrillard wrote an article called The Gulf War Did Not Take Place and that was very controversial. In it, he suggests that the media set the agenda on the narrative of the war, and that the war we saw on TV did not match the real events, the real actual war. I mean, if you think about it, we all know TV's not real. So if our only perception of the Gulf War, or anything that we only perceive through television, that 
if we see and experience these things only on tape TV, well, if TV is not real, then maybe the event isn't real. Maybe that didn't happen. And that is hyper-reality. In One Day in September, which we looked at um, the other week, the documentary uses news footage from the era that the Berlin Olympics happened. And so I asked a question to the students, how accurate is One Day in September as a real portrayal of the actual um, terrorist attack at the Olympics? And, you know, a couple of them mentioned that, well, the documentary featured real news footage. So, therefore, you know, it must have been um, extremely similar. But, of course, if we're thinking about this in terms of Baudrillard's hyper-reality, what comes out of that is, what I asked the question, well, how far could the news of the time have been biased the news of the time was a part of mass media therefore it was mediated it went through a selection process they decided and selected the way in which to present the um, terrorist attack in in the 19 um, early 70s so therefore our understanding of the berlin olympic terrorist attack is based on a mediated version of the reality and because that that's our only perception our only experience of the um, berlin uh, terrorist attack we are basing our version of reality on a simulated version of reality so therefore we are experiencing the hyper real notion of what actually happened and of course the corollary of that is well if that's the case then how can we believe anything how can we understand anything um, if we get most of our understanding of the world through the media and particularly through the internet well the answer to that isn't a pleasant one because we may not know and that is the danger of living in a hyper real society so we're going to look at the act of killing uh, next week or um, early uh, the, the following week and the students are going to have to study this documentary on lots of different levels first of all how um, effective is the act of killing as a documentary film so we'll be looking at the uh, techniques used uh, by the filmmakers to uh, construct the film but then we have to think about how accurate is the film as a portrayal of the Indonesian massacres. How much of this, or no, how far has it been mediated? How much of a sense of hyper-reality are we experiencing when we um, watch this film, when we consume it? But then, of course, we've also got to consider, as we always do in film studies, the social, historic, political and economic context. We'll be looking at when was, the, when was the film made? What was the general consensus of the massacres when the film was made? How did critics respond to it? What's our understanding of the massacres today? And all of this will come together to help us understand the film as both a documentary and as a document of the actual events. I'm really enjoying teaching a documentary um, again this year. 
It's something that I uh, focused on um, at university, so it's bringing back lots of really great memories. But then I'm thinking, how reliable are those memories? I mean, don't we also go through a kind of um, neural mediation process where our brain selects certain things, um, blanks things out, emphasises others? Who knows how much of our own memories are even true? So I guess there is no truth. One of the things I often get my students to write down is the phrase, when it comes to film and the media, nothing is true. Because if it appears real, it does so because it's been designed and constructed to appear that way. Because film is a lie. All media texts are lies. They are they can never be reflections of reality. They can only be representations. They can only be constructed versions of reality. And if the only reality we experience are constructed versions, representations, versions of the truth, then in that sense, we really are stuck in a world of hyperreality. Real, not real, hyper real, I don't know what's going on, but what I do know is that for today I'm going to be cooking a fantastic hot chilli with paprika pan-fried potatoes, so I am extremely excited about that. Decided not to go for a roast today, as I've been a little roast dinner heavy um, this last couple of months, and sometime going for uh, two, even three full enormous roast dinners a week. So we're just going for chilli and paprika pan fried potatoes today, so I shall be on that uh, shortly. So um, the other week, I and some new of the film study students we did a little after-college trip down to see the new Brad Pitt film directed by James Gray, Ad Astra. And I was so looking forward to it. I saw the trailer, looked terrific, had me written all over it. So I was expecting um, a film similar to Interstellar, but instead I got a film probably more similar to Andre Tarkovsky's Solaris, but you know what? It was unexpected, but it was great. It's a real quiet, um, personal film that I found was really about fathers and sons more than um, being a science fiction epic. So I've got quite a lot out of it, actually. It's also beautifully shot. It's definitely worth seeing on the big screen if you can, but don't expect um, a science fiction uh, action um, like um, Interstellar um, or Star Trek um, and because I, I, for me it felt really about um, a father and a son relationship it got me thinking about the role that subtext and theme plays um, in film because often when we go and see a film and this is something that my students struggle with when they first start film studies 
they often think that a film is simply about the story events, the things that are happening in it. And whilst it's difficult to deny that, we have to look beyond the story events and consider what else the film is trying to say. And sometimes this is often based on our own cultural experience. Understanding uh, subtext and theme will help us analyse film and interpret films in a much deeper way. Um, we saw the film at... Um, where was it? Oh, in, locally in Salisbury, the Salisbury Odeon. And uh, we were in one of the smaller screens and um, it was quite a good experience, actually. But I previously went there to see the um, Marvel Avengers Endgame. And I was so unhappy because I was front row, yet I seemed to have, I seemed to have been miles away from the screen. I could have been watching it on a laptop at home. And that really annoyed me because I really wanted the big screen experience. Um, it's one of those listed buildings where they can only do a certain amount of work. But there was this enormous space in front of um, the seats. And the other thing that was terrible was the sound was bleeding in from other auditoriums. So I could actually hear music and dialogue from other films happening. And this is not what I was expecting. This was just definitely not good at of course, some of the greatest cinemas um, that I've been to include uh, the Fox Cinema in the Student Village um, in Westwood, uh, Los Angeles, as part of the UCLA. Now, this is a glorious cinema, or as the Americans call them, a movie theatre. It's incredibly palatial, really, really so special. Um, it's really uh, glamorous. Um, it felt like I was going to the opera and uh, in fact the first time I went there it was to see it was on a student trip to LA during um, Oscar weekend actually and um, what was the film oh it was Constantine the Keanu Reeves Constantine and that was the first film that I'd seen with a digital projection which of course today we are um, really familiar with but it was the first time I'd seen a digital projection at the cinema and it was just fantastic a uh, worst one uh, was probably oh early to mid nineties, um, and it was um, in Dover in Kent. Um, the screen was absolutely tiny, and um, it was a ramshackle old building, and it really um, was just absolutely horrid. Film was good though; it was Pulp Fiction. But um, I'm actually, I actually remember the awful cinematic film-going experience more than the film sometimes. And, of course, um, you've got to love um, the great BFI, the British Film Institute Cinema on London South Bank. It used to be called the National uh, Film Theatre. And one of my favourite things about that cinema is that when you go into the auditorium, you are not really allowed to take food. And I think that's a great idea. I mean, if you're so hungry that you need to eat a giant set of cheesy chilli nachos that could probably feed a small family, then the cinema's not for you. you. You need to go to a restaurant if you're that hungry. And so I really love the fact that I can go along to the BFI and I won't get annoyed by people um, eating. I won't be able to hear people rattling sweets. 
uh, sipping their Coca-Cola. And of course, I won't have to smell the disgusting smell of cheese. The other great cinema in London, for me, is the amazing Prince Charles Cinema in Leicester Square, where they show um, cult films and um, all, all year round and sometimes all the way through the night as well. They also have a monthly screening of the uh, classic, terrible but amazing film, The Room. So do check that out if you'd ever want to see that out on the big screen. That's the Prince Charles Cinema in Leicester Square, London. So last week I talked about Jay Cole. That was um, quite interesting. I really enjoyed listening to his music. And of course, earlier on in the week, the rapper Dave won the Mercury Music Prize. And this is uh, another rapper, another artist that uh, a student recommended I listen to. I mean, what are we doing with that name? Dave. He sounds like he works in a garage. I mean, is he seriously called Dave the Rapper? Lame. I mean, that's just, I mean, or and maybe that's part of the appeal, the fact that he's just called Dave. Um, I, I don't understand that whatsoever, but um, I, I will give him a listen. Um, Six Music has been playing him uh, extensively, so I, I, shall, I shall give this um, Dave a go. Um, I've been listening to the soundtrack of Chernobyl uh, quite a bit lately. I quite like the brooding, depressing uh, music, and that, that's quite good. And also listening to a lot of Beach House, um, a wonderful um, dream pop um, band. I've been listening to some of their album as well. So NYC is looking really good for my Easter 2020 trip. Um, lots of students have signed up. There's still some more spaces, but I hope to have them all filled by the end of the week. And uh, yeah, really looking forward to that trip. Um, hoping that we can go and see a basketball game at the Barclays Centre in Brooklyn. And there are a couple of games on whilst we are there. So it would be crazy um, not to um, pop over the bridge and see them. But I'm also hoping to do a trip to Tokyo for 2021. But, oh, for the love of Merlin, it is so expensive. So we'll be looking around just under probably 2,500 or thereabouts um, for students. So it's really expensive. Um, But if I can launch it over the next month or so, um, then students would have probably about a year and a half uh, uh, to pay but that really is a big investment. But So we'll, we'll see how we go on that. Other trips uh, planned uh, for this um, term, actually, will be um, the, the Video Game Society and I at college. We're going up to the London Excel Centre for the 2019 EGX. So really looking forward to that. it be interesting to see um, what games they are going to be uh, trialling and also uh, spending some time with all the new interesting um, indie games as well so that should be pretty good they usually have a variety of universities um, there and so students can go along and speak to the people at the uni stalls and figure out what kind of degrees they should be looking at if they want to get into video game development And I'll also do my annual trip to the BFI in London for film studies. So that'll be for my first years, but I'm also going to invite the second years as they're quite cool. And maybe um, we will do St. Ives in Cornwall again around March, April time. 
um, did that uh, last academic year and it was one of the most beautiful, most fantastic um, short trips I've ever done. Um, so I met up with Andy Harris from Solent Uni last week to talk about the Solent Sound 2020 competition. Looks really good, so I'm hoping we can get a college band or two uh, together. Known Andy for many years. Um, I first met him when he was in a band called The Irrepressibles, and um, then he started uh, teaching, and then um, he actually worked with me for um, a few years at Totten College. And uh, turns out he's about to start a podcast about the music and culture of Southampton. Well, all I can say, Andy, is that I am incredibly honoured that I have inspired you uh, to record a podcast. Um, it's very, very sweet of you. And um, I, um, I am deeply, deeply moved. Um, Andy's asked me to be a guest on his podcast once it's up and running to talk about uh, music, film and media, of which, of course, I have accepted. Really looking forward to that. Going to go over to Southampton Uni to record it in one of their radio studios. And whilst I'm there, I thought I would record an episode of Renovation at the same time and have Andy uh, to be a guest um, on that as well. Right, I need to pop into the kitchen. I need to put some washing on and start thinking about that chilli. Um, so I'll be back in two shakes of a ale. I hope you can hear that. I'm standing in my kitchen, uh, windows open and and the back doors open and it is pouring down with rain and it is completely wet out there and it's really cold and autumn is here, winter's going to be on its way and I am loving it. Thank goodness summer is on its way out. Absolute disgusting muck. I'm loving the weather. I love how cold it is. Um, the garden's looking really beautiful and it's glistening in all the rain. And um, this is a perfect day for rain. You know, it's a Sunday. I'm, I'm going to do laundry, going to get my chilli on the go. I'm in my gym jams. I might even put the fire on. And I'm going to snuggle up on the old sofa and I'm going to watch a film. What should I watch? I'm not sure. Not sure what I shall watch, um, but I'd quite like to watch some kind of um, indie horror film. So I'm going to have a look at that. I have got a new one recently called um, The Witch in the Window. So I might give that a go, as that's had some really good reviews from Shudder.com. Um, and I love watching independent, uh, low-budget um, horror because nobody wants to watch a horror film that costs, you know, $100 million. We want to watch a horror film that's been made on a really low budget where they've had to use lots of innovative 
and creative um, techniques in order to scare the living daylights out of you. Right, so, well, look, that's going to be it for me. I'm, I'm going to um, make some coffee, get the laundry on, and, um, oh, I'm just so, I'm so hungry. I've not had breakfast. So I'm going to wait a little bit longer and then uh, make the chilli. Well, look, it's been a pleasure, as always, and I look forward to um, hearing from you. So if you do have an idea for a podcast uh, topic, do let me know. And, uh, well, that's it for me. Uh, This is Reno signing out in the rain and loving it. And as always, take care of yourselves and each other.